Welcome to episode number 194 of CXO Talk. And for this special episode, CXO Talk is going to explore Oracle and the recent conference, Oracle Open World. As you know, CXO Talk brings together the smartest, most innovative minds in the world for in-depth and highly substantive conversation. And today I'm joined by three excellent analysts, really top star analysts among the best in the world. And in no particular order, I am joined by Larry Dignan, who is the editor-in-chief of ZDNet. And Larry Dignan, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. And Lewis Columbus is a longtime analyst. Uh, hello, Lewis. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. And Mike Fawcett is the chief research officer of G5. Mike, how are you? G2. Sorry about that. You promoted us. That's pretty good. We've got an extra three. (laughs) (laughs) So, everybody, uh, thank you for taking the time. So, Oracle at Open World made a whole series of announcements. And who would like to jump in and place Oracle for the moment into context? Oracle, what what Oracle is doing at this moment into the broader context of the industry and and where are they going? Who would who would like to begin? I'll take that one. Okay. Larry, go ahead. They're taking their huge installed base and all their on-prem people and they're trying to move them all to the cloud. And that applies to a Chinese buffet of apps, that applies to database customers, that applies to damn near everything they touch. So Oracle, for all intents and purposes, is a cloud company. And that's the transition they're making. They're trying to do, you know, broadly speaking, they're trying to make that pivot that Adobe did so well. So Mike, Mike Fawcett, Oracle, the cloud company. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, Larry says transition. I mean, I think that's the the thing you have to think of them as uh, a company in transition. They have lots of cloud offerings. They have lots of non-cloud offerings. They have lots of stuff, right? They bought a lot of things. And it takes a long time to move a revenue model from one to the other. It takes a long time to move a culture from one to the other. It takes a long time to move a sales force from one to the other. And I I think, um, you know, we saw... A few years ago, things got pretty unstable for a while, but um, from a, from a sales perspective. But then things settled out. Uh, they did a lot of work there, and now the the applications are starting to settle out into uh, you know into logical blocks and and, uh, and 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 movement. So, I mean, it's just it takes a long time to make that transition, and um, and I think some people expected them to do things a lot faster, but but you just don't do that. You can't move that size of base that quickly. Lewis, do you want to maybe uh, weigh in with the financial aspects of this? Oracle is moving to the cloud, yet the their overall re- cloud revenue is still relatively small uh, compared to the right. Yeah, it's nine percent of total revenue right now. It's growing at an eighty-two percent compound annual growth rate, which uh, bodes well for them. When you look at their financial models going out for IAS and uh, platform as a service, you know they're pretty robust. Uh, opportunities there on IIS, they have the potential to do 40% to 46% gross contribution margin all the way through 2017. So, uh, you know, the likes of the bare metal server, 
uh, where they're going with Ravello and, uh, and VMware compatibility and VM machine compatibility, which is essential for those services to succeed, could supplant that revenue. Uh, what's going to be interesting is to watch how they play in the platform as a service space and how they uh, go ahead and drive uh, gross margin out of that. They've rolled together, and all the estimates I've seen, rolled together uh, SaaS and, and platform as a service, so it's hard to differentiate what the revenue contribution of PaaS is alone. However, bottom line, IAS, bare metal servers, high margin business with an upside growth potential, 60% compound annual growth in that business. So I think they're on the hunt for, you know, additional revenue growth figures in that 82 to 80% compound annual growth rate range. Uh, and, you know, in, a, in an upside scenario, their license growth is flatlining, uh, you know, to growing maybe 5%. And they know that SaaS, the entire cloud model, business model has to succeed if they're going to overcome the flatlining of their overall license revenue growth. So guys, who's, who's got additional color on, on this aspect of Oracle's market position and what it's doing with the cloud? It's going to, their, their cloud position is going to be pretty strong. I mean, assuming they can keep their customers, which is, the big assumption, really, because um, software companies really don't want to get into a game of churn. And once a CIO or someone bets on a platform, chances are they're staying there for a while. So as long as Oracle can migrate its customers, um, I think the trick is balancing, you know, the cash cow that is support and maintenance with new licenses with the cloud subscription model. And that's, that's going to be a tricky act, but Oracle, the last few earnings conference calls, they've been able to, they've been able to have, they've been able to like gloss over some of their financial issues, like, you know, missing revenue or whatever, um, by talking about the cloud growth and the potential there. So as long as they're willing, as long as they can do that and Wall Street's willing to buy it, then it, it's all good as far as transition goes. Well, you know, too, the the, uh, the transition, uh, when we talk about license growth, perpetual license growth, it has to, at some point, you have to start to see decline there because it is a shift. So I, I don't, you know, I think that makes sense. It's just, you're right, the optics are going to be really challenging with the street, I think. Um, you know, the other thing I wondered about when, when you look at their kind of movement now, the two, two sort of areas that... Um, have changed in the way people buy, and maybe that supports the, the the transition better. I don't know, but but in the app space, you know, it's just rare today to see a company rip out everything and put a bunch of new stuff in. They kind of go piece by piece by piece by piece, and then and not always piece by piece from the same vendor. So, so so it's kind of a different mix now with integration being just as important, really, in in a lot of ways. Integration from cloud back to cloud to, you know, to on-premises prem, uh, type apps. Um, and, and so you have to be more open, and I always wondered about that. Do you think they're open enough in that integration world to, to, to coexist in that? And I'm just not sure. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think also looking at uh, the fact that so many people, so many applications and, you know, companies, are dependent on, on PL and SQL integration uh, in the stored procedure layer of many apps off the Oracle databases that it's very difficult to move off of that. And what they're talking about with regard to 12C and at the platform layer, you know, it's a build-out strategy to eventually move into the cloud. And, and as many people have said, 
uh, this cloud strategy is a is another approach to being able to uh, migrate database workloads effectively and reliably and securely under their control into a cloud environment. And you you have to stop and think, you know, did they do this as a competitive blocking uh, move against AWS picking up more of their workloads? And and I think that you know I think there's a there's a truth between there. I don't think it's an absolute. I think there's a nuanced definition there. And and I think the definition is it's still a red stack even if the red stack is in the cloud. They have the control over those workloads. And I, I think in the moving of those workloads into the cloud and how they manage VMware pricing and VM pricing is going to determine the success or failure of this initiative. What about the role of the suite? in all of this, because the cloud is, of course, the, the underpinning, but from a software strategy, Oracle is very heavily invested in this notion of a suite of products that work together across a very wide range, right? HCM, human capital management, ERP, customer experience, supply chain. So what about that aspect of it? Larry, what do you think about the suite? Well, you know, anybody who's heard SAP CEO McDermott talk at all, you know, he always says the suite always wins. Um, as you see the cloud develop, every vendor is running towards a suite of some sort, right? So I don't know. I mean, certainly the cloud, since APIs are the glue for everything, I mean, certainly things can be mixed and matched better. Um, but it seems like the whole industry thinks it's going to be a suite of things. Um, whether, I mean, you look at Workday, it's HCM, the financials, obviously SAP and Oracle, they're, they all have cloud extensions to their on-premise suites. You look at what Salesforce is doing, which is, you know, I think I referred to it a year ago. It's sort of like a relationship operating system where they take your CRM data, but then they're extending it out to other things, whether it's analytics, IOT, other areas. So, you know, like Salesforce isn't building a, what we would see as a traditional ERP suite, but they're certainly building a suite of some sort. Um, so I don't, I don't know if the suite's always going to win for the customer, but my guess is vendors are kind of forcing you into suites anyway. And the challenge is, the challenge for these vendors is, can they develop suites and where that are good enough in all areas? Right. So, you know, is is Oracle's HCM good enough to convince a customer not to go with Workday or okay. et cetera? Um, you know, I kind of look at history a bit here. When you look at Oracle versus SAP and enterprise applications, you can almost count on one hand how many times one of them actually poached the other one's customer. Um, so in the cloud, I think a lot of these guys are going to have joint customers, but there's going to be some, some semblance of suite everywhere. Um, and that's just the way they're playing it. So I, I don't know if customers are really going to not go that way because the volume discounts and the deals are all going to be skewed towards favoring suites. But Mike Fawcett, isn't it, it's for the customer, uh, the argument is that it's just much easier to have a suite, you have one footprint, a common application, you're with one vendor, right? It's a fair, it's a fair argument, isn't it? 
It's a fair argument, but I, I think, Larry, one of the things you said that really hits it, it's the vendor's choice. The vendor wants you to move to a suite. Of course they do, because they sell you more things, they lock in more, they, you know, they, they own that relationship more, the less you're likely to go somewhere else. But I think you've got to look at buying patterns lately, too. And, and you know, if we talk mid-market, it's sweet. There's no question, right? If I'm a mid-market company and I go to look for something I'm looking for, simple to, to get access to, operate, layout, do everything I want in one place, fine. But if I'm in the enterprise today, the, the IT organization, the, the architecture, the the way that they've looked at things for a while, it's just complicated. It's, it's hybrid, and it's going to be hybrid for a long time because they have some things that they're not going to move for now, some things they didn't think they removed that they had to move, and, and then they have marketing going out and with a credit card and buying 10 new solutions and, you know, line of business driving a bunch of different decisions around functionality. And so I think if you start to look at the shops of larger companies, you realize that they already are multi-vendor and, and probably uh, even to rationalize that um, and get it under control, it's just not a, a setup for a suite for a long time. It doesn't mean they don't have core applications that they use from one vendor or another, but they have all of these other things that hang off of it that are specialty, that are digital marketing, that are you know, whatever, and they're not uh, in the suite, and, and, and they're not going to convince the line of business to go that way because they want the best thing they can get for that activity. Yeah, I, I think I think you might see a case where you will have maybe three suites. I mean, if you think of all the applications, it might wind up in pods. Like you'll have your financial suite that it's attached to, maybe HR, and then you'll have your data as a service slash marketing, and then you'll. So you might have you might have a trio of vendors on one level of the stack, and they'll have to play well together which is kind of what you, you're seeing this a lot with partnerships. Yep. Like you see all the collaboration players playing together, um, whether it's, it's Cisco, IBM, all these guys are working to get along mm -hmm. and integrate their things. So I think people recognize it, but I still think the vendor, the vendor can't resist going for some semblance of sweet play. No, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's better for them. There's no question. But I, I think, Oh, it looks like uh, we just lost we just lost Mike Fawcett. Lewis, what do you think about this sweet argument? You know, I think uh, Larry and Michael brought us some great points uh, that clearly, you know, vendors want to move in this direction, also from a system of record perspective. And uh, on the on the pro side of the suite, it's it's what I'm starting to see with a lot of our customers uh, in distribution. They want one single system of record to drive analytics and intelligence off of and Oracle's data cloud and their adaptive uh, intelligent apps that they talked about at Oracle of the world. Uh, you know, there's potential there to bring a level of uh, intelligence and um, intelligent agent technology, which is going to be a huge deal at Dreamforce next week. I'm sure uh, with Einstein and everything else going on there, it's, it's in building that system of record that the sweet argument now becomes more relevant because then you have contextual intelligence and now you have a shot at delivering an excellent, excellent multi-channel uh, experience, um, getting complete visibility up and down a, a, a overall uh, sales funnel. The sell side implications of, of a suite are tremendous. That said, now counter to that, look at people like HubSpot and, and look at people like, uh, you know, startups in the cloud space that 
I'm a big fan of crunch-based data, and I love to look at the overhang on marketing analytics, marketing automation, uh, you know, Internet of Things. I mean, there's a tremendous overhang of VC money out there right now that is betting on the suite not being real. And I think the, bet, the bets on the suite not being real are, are exemplified with companies like Sight Machine that do really in-depth big data analytics into core verticals. See, these, air, these slices of high growth potential like Sight Machine's doing and, and others, <clears throat> I think explain, uh, first of all, why there is an overhang in VC right now around uh, intelligent agent, uh, artificial intelligence analytics, uh, because some of these niches are just so granular that it's difficult for someone like an Oracle to get to. I think for the broad, the broad stream of CIOs that have successfully passed an audit or dodged an Oracle audit, uh, you know, the opportunity to be able to build that out and have one contiguous platform, I think is pretty alluring. If you're competing against Oracle in a sweet deal, they're going to bundle and they will beat you <laughs> and they will beat you on bundling. And, you know, that's the strength of having a sweet strategy is you could go in and you can absolutely crush a competitor uh, with that area. And then the competitor has to, you know, the, the startup or the best of breed company has to rise to the occasion, deliver greater value and a, and a deeper app. And, and in that tension is great innovation. So I don't think it's a clear-cut answer, but I think it's a really healthy competition because it brings great innovation from these smaller companies, and it challenges them to improve to compete against Oracle and deals. And on the same side, if you're on Oracle side, you could bundle and just blow through deals, and you know you can really dominate in a customer if you choose to. But isn't that the so argument? I'm sorry, but but Lewis, isn't that the argument that explicitly says? This is what customers want. I mean, you're making the argument. You can bundle these deals and customers will buy it. Isn't that, that's the demand argument right there. Yeah, it's the issue of good enough. You know, it's, it's the issue is, is that app good enough or is HCM, Oracle HCM, which is growing by leaps and bounds as well as SCM and ERP from everybody that I've talked to, it's SCM and ERP on the cloud is doing incredibly well and, and leading a lot of opportunities for them. The issue is, is it, is it good enough? Does it meet the core requirements? Or does someone need to, does a, does a company need to drill down? And by, by drill down or by the heterogeneity of these apps, think about the typical company's marketing stack, marketing technology stack. Scott Brinker's genius in this space. Um, and, and, you know, typical company over $150, $200 million will have 40 to 50 vendors in its marketing technology stack alone. So see that, I think, exemplifies what I mean by very unique, very differentiated needs that may be outside the scope of what Oracle can do. But if you're in a core vertical that Oracle excels at and they have those that, that suite, then yes, by all means, they will win and they have the economics to make it. Uh, it's just a matter of, is it aligned and does it exceed the expectations of that customer far enough where the suite makes sense? Yeah, two, two, two points on that. Um, one, just a startup comment and the VC overhang. I mean, I think part of that is the VCs and those startups, they're all looking to be bought. So the exit strategy isn't necessarily to grow up. It's to be okay. ultimately become part of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's how they get acquired. Yeah. And the other thing is I, the whole sweet argument and a lot of what Lewis talks, talks about is it really comes down to who's making that buying call. 
um, CIOs, CFOs for ages, they kind of, you know, they, they do skew towards that one throat the choke thing. Um, you know, if it's an HR person's call, maybe Oracle doesn't get that deal or okay. SAP or whoever, maybe, maybe they want to go on work day. And, you know, that's, and when you look at Salesforce, right, Salesforce initial traction, in the enterprise didn't come from CIOs. It came from marketing people and salespeople. Um, <laughs> So what what remains to be seen for me is that the line of business people believe in the sweep. And and that's kind of what it comes down to, right? I mean, ultimately, there's probably some CFO going, all right, this is crazy expensive or whatever. Um, but, you know, that, that, that remains to be seen because I don't think line of business people have been exposed to the sweep thing nearly as much as, you know, tech-bred CXOs. What about well, – it's not as it's really not as advantageous to uh, um, to a line of business person either because they're trying to solve a specific problem, and do they really care about how it plugs into that broader suite? Which I just don't think they do. Right. So the advantage is at the enterprise level. Yeah. Yeah, the advantage is at a high level. If you're if you're just in charge of your one unit. You want, you know, you want that unit to play well with others, but at the end of the day, you have your own P&L, you've got your own goals, right. you're, you know, you're, you're playing for a silo. Yeah. What about... You solve your problem. That's... What, let's talk about Oracle. Uh, one of the interesting things was at Open World, how they, they really leaned heavily on their competition with Workday and pretty much just dismissed SAP as a contender at all. So what's that about? I think I think it's a total available market issue. I mean, to your point earlier, these are very very sharp people, and of course, Larry is Larry knows exactly what he's doing. The total available market of Workday and its associated markets is 10x where Salesforce is right now. So it's a very attractive target. Um, and, and, and positioning against them relative to SAP is is completely understandable. I mean, SAP, you know, clearly has some has a strong uh, ERP base, has done fine, you know, with a variety of its acquisitions. However, it's not nearly as attractive as a target as a cloud-based company making headway in a market with a 10x market-sized multiple than other competitors they've picked out on the past. So really, he's signaling, hey, there's a total available market pool. This is a great profit pool, and I want a part of it. I think that's what he's really saying. Yeah. So the so the so the point here. Well, and I also that if you're. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Oh, did we lose Mike Fawcett again? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike is on. Uh, Mike is on Wi-Fi. So so Lewis then, uh, but going back again to this competitive issue. They're saying that that the workday addressable market is better than the SAP addressable market. I mean, is that what is that the point, or am I missing something? Growing, it shows potential for growth, whereas the SAP market doesn't. I, I think that I don't think that Larry wants to take such a high-profile event to go into the trenches of how they they win and lose deals every day against SAP on their core business, on their core functionality around ERP. I mean, they, that's probably where they face the majority of competition. Uh, SAP's efforts into the cloud have been sometimes strong, sometimes weak. Uh, they're not a poster child of exceptional cloud competitiveness and strength. 
he's further ahead looking at Workday and saying, how do I position against HCM there? That's a growing market. The total available market is, is much larger. The compounded growth rate is greater. They're dealing with customers who believe in the cloud at the enterprise level, to Larry's point, that the CIO believes that. And, and I think that, you know, to Larry's point, the heterogeneity of technology stacks is driven by the decision maker. A CMO or a VP of marketing is going to go, well, that's a great analytical tool. I need that to be able to manage my pipeline or to quantify my value as a, as a business unit relative to the CIO saying I need enterprise-wide uh, consistency. But yeah, back to your point. I think that that's what's going on. I, I think that it's, it's just a prime base. It's, it's an enterprise that believes in the cloud, could go to hundreds of thousands of seats immediately, plays exactly to where he wants to go with his revenue model. The other thing here is um, don't forget the narrative, right? These conferences are about a narrative. They always are. So if you, you know, the narrative for Oracle, it's cloud, they're innovating. Right, that two words. That's what they're trying to project. So if you come out and you start yapping about SAP, well, it's like reading a sports story from ten years ago. We've mm -hmm. all heard it over and over again, right? We we know how it's it turned out, how it's still turning out, whatever. But it's an old story, um, and and that's why you know that's why you see Larry Ellison going off on AWS, right? Because even at workday arguments get a little tired, right? It's I mean, I see Workday, Oracle, I'm thinking apples and oranges. I mean, they compete in the same space in HCM and, you know, maybe ultimately financials, but, you know, it's it's a different kind of company that they go after. But um, Lewis has a really interesting point, though, which is it's all about going into the future because, you know, Oracle right now is not investing heavily in new features with its on-premise products. It's not talking about the on-premise products very much. It's all about we're going into the cloud. And even though Oracle's cloud revenue, I mean, it's almost a billion dollars, a run rate of a billion. It's almost a, it's almost a, run, it's a run rate of about $4 billion, which mm -hmm. is a lot of money on the one hand. But for Oracle, it's, it represents a small part of their business. But it is all about looking forward. Mm -hmm. But I, but I think that supports the idea that it's positioning as much as it is anything else. It, it is, in fact, the right, um, the right opponent at the right time, and and the story against SAP. You're right; it's old. So I want to tell an exciting new story that sets me into the markets and the focus and the way I want to be seen. And it, 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 that perception is shapes a lot of people's reality. So the narrative, as Larry, as Larry Dignan was saying. I mean, don't, don't count back to important to oh, have the, look at the market and see where they're going. Question. I think I think the narrative is, is more important. Yeah. Okay. So so what about so we've spoken about the apps side. Uh, you know, actually, before I was going to say we should go on to the uh, infrastructure, but there is one other piece which is very important, which are these intelligent apps, basically the AI apps, and also their new data cloud. So thoughts from anybody on, on that before we go on to the infrastructure? AI is becoming the new cloud. It's a term everyone their mom's going to use, and it's becoming fairly meaningless at pretty 
give give it another six months, I'll, I'll be a totally AI'd out. Um, <laughs> I was thinking it was like digital transformation. It's like it's like the way digital transformation was right. say two years ago. And if I hear one more, if I hear one more cartoon character tied to AI, whether it's Cortana, Alexa, Siri, Get ready. On, Einstein, for the love of God, right? It, it's just the marketing terms that are Watson. Watson's the front runner of this whole thing. Um, it, it's it's just it's going to be played out. And to me, the best AI, the most effective AI is AI you don't see, right? It just kind of works. Um, so the fact we're talking about, hey, our apps are going to be intelligent. You know, a lot of people are going to be saying, well, weren't you supposed to be intelligent when you pitched me this stuff a decade ago? Um, yeah, you definitely were, but uh, were they? Yeah, the question. You know, the whole the whole AI, you know, intelligent apps, adapt AI powered apps, machine learning. I mean. Yeah. I don't know. If I'm a big tech buyer, I'm a little pissed right now because you basically sold me on some dumbass apps five years ago. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. I'm not feeling so great about it. But you know, oh, I, well, I think I, a lot of it's a lot of it's gonna be marketing, a lot of it's gonna be, you know, it'll be proof use cases, how, how but I mean the other thing with artificial intelligence, it's it's hard to judge who has what going on. Right. Because they talk about what it can do. But, you know, you got a real live company, you got their data. And the things that matter is what they actually do with that data to figure it out. And right now I see the vendors doing the exact same thing they always do. Here's this magic pill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the actual analysis, the actual insights, what you do with that data, that's all going to be very company specific. But Larry, what about uh, what about the Oracle data cloud? which they announced, which they claim is the largest global con consumer data set with, in the world with 1,500 data providers and 5 billion cross-channel consumer profiles. And that data set is used as the feed into these new, these new machine learning-based apps. So you combine think, that with the I transactional data. the most promising thing Oracle has. Um, but you know, that was also acquired through blue Kai and a bunch of other purchases. Right. And, you know, Salesforce probably has similar things on customer data that you aggregated, you know, so I think there's something to that. Um, I'm very wary of, you know, data as a service claims when they say we have every profile, um, partially because I am, I'm actually in one of these, I'm in a bunch of profiles as a tech buyer. And I've gotten calls from Oracle. I've gotten calls from all sorts of vendors looking for people at CBS Sports, which, you know, I read CBS Sports, but, and I have to go back and I have to tell them, I'm like, look, I play, I play a tech decision maker on TV. Slash the <laughs> yeah. I have, I got some buying influence. Like I'm sure if I yelled and screamed enough and, you know, somebody might listen, but at the end of the day, my, my tech buying influence is pretty minimal. Um, even though you do yeah, work for you, from a bunch of people, you work for CBS, right? So maybe they're just trying to find somebody in CBS, but either way, Probably. I don't tell them, you know, they don't listen to me when I say what to buy. Um, so, so, so you're not running the uh, CBS data center. Well, what I'm saying <laughs> is, you know, you run around saying I've got a gazillion consumer profiles. Well, 
I'd rather here I have two million kick-ass complete profiles and I can read some of their minds. That's much more valuable to me than the bulk numbers, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, eventually we have to start talking about data quality. And, you know, that that's where you, you know, that said, I mean, Oracle's, I think Oracle's in a good position for data as a service. I mean, I, I think it's a promising thing. And for somebody like Oracle, the best case scenario is for them to wind up something like Dun & Bradstreet, which you have to buy their data and their profiles to do any risk metric stuff that, you know, if you're running a credit check on somebody or any anybody that takes money from somebody and has to do a background check is buying DMB data. So Oracle's saying that's, kind, that's a nice model for them. That's kind of what they're looking at. Um, and Salesforce will be there too. But, you know, when I hear these big things about, oh, our database is bigger, I, you know, I, I kind of question it because I, I know a lot of those profiles are utter bullshit just because I'm getting calls from a lot of people thinking I can actually buy software. So, so Michael, let me see if I can get this out. Let's back to AI for a second because there are a couple points I wanted to, to make. Um, the, the first one is that I, I think you're right. It could be flavor of the month, but the, the real opportunity, there is a real opportunity with, um, with embedding intelligence in the app. And there's sort of two streams and the, the Oracle stream, which has been uh, really built around decision making and decision systems. So can you make the app present things to you that help you do something, make a decision. And the other stream is can you make the app do something for you that you don't have to now do? And that's more of what Einstein and, and the platform that Salesforce is talking about. And I think both are interesting, both do important things, uh, and they use similar technology, but they're actually focused on a different outcome. But part of it, though, at the end of the day, as Larry said earlier, they're both, uh, Salesforce and Oracle, are both trying to win the narrative wars around AI in the present. But all vendors are trying to win the narrative wars. Yes, they are. Well, they are, but the, there is a, a real advantage to what they're doing for the customer. And I also think Larry's point about AI is best when it disappears. That's correct. You know, I want it to do things for me that I don't have to think about. Um, and that's important and it will save time. It will help, you know, people work more efficiently, better, make better decisions, all those things. But it has to start to blend into the application. And eventually you should just expect that the application works that way. So in a way, it's like, it becomes like uh, what you're describing. It becomes like social collaboration features where, say, Correct. Four or five years ago, social collaboration was this separate app, almost siloed. And now right. all of the vendors are building, so are intertwining social collaboration right into the heart of what they do. So just as you're working on a spreadsheet, you can, I mean, Workday showed this, you can just call up your neighbor, uh, right. your colleague, and collaborate right then and there on that spreadsheet, on that cell at that moment in time. And then the collaboration feature correct. kind of goes, goes away into the background. Well, that, that's correct. And, and so what you just described is that there are certain things that have to fall down into the platform and just be available inside of every application. Collaboration, that's one of those. I don't want to 
outside my workflow. I want to do it when I'm trying to do something and work together with you or whoever. Uh, same thing with analytics. I want the ability to look at some data that I'm trying to use decision in that context inside the platform. And the same thing here, I think, with AI. Eventually, it gets to the point where there are just functions that humans shouldn't have to do inside the uh, inside the uh, application. Why build a trial schedule for a project when you could easily have AI do that and then I just approve it, for example. There are a lot of those kinds of activities that can be handled with AI that would make it a much better application. Uh, gentlemen, we have 10 minutes left and we need to talk about infrastructure, platform as a service and infrastructure as a service because a key part of open world this time around was the, the focus on the competition with AWS, with Amazon. So maybe, uh, Louis, do you want to share some, some thoughts on this infrastructure strategy, which was so, I mean, so prevalent, so powerful at open world? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think we've covered over um, some parts of this earlier, and you know one of the one of the key elements of this, when it when it all boils down to it from a purely Oracle centric perspective, is is moving uh, database workloads into the cloud as fast as possible. So I think that when you look at things like RDBMS R2 and uh, and capturing workloads back from AWS on that alone on Oracle RDBMS R2, that's something that is definitely in the it's got to be a high priority for them to be able to capitalize on it because AWS has got so much of those workloads already. And then also coming back from the pure workload perspective and the economics of that, as we talked about bare metal, Ravello and container cloud services, the ability to innovate. I think there's two really critical pivot points for them on this, this whole infrastructure strategy. First of all, can they innovate at the speed of Amazon? Arguably, yes, because they are a powerhouse. Oracle is a very strong engineering-centric company. Um, so, yeah, could they match them on that? Could they match them, match them on pure patent production? Sure. And there are plenty of engineers there who would love to rack up 100 patents in their career by going after Amazon. So that's a pretty compelling you know, value proposition. The issue is, can the culture of Oracle engineering sustain the kind of culture that Amazon has right now in terms of a market leadership position and the, and the way that engineers get to work at Amazon. So can they, can they pace on innovation? Sure. I mean, they've got to win a patent war somewhere. I mean, they've got to rack up a couple hundred patents really fast and, and, and Oracle has the ability to do that. Can they match the cadence of price cuts of Amazon? That's a completely different story because while they do have that, you know, that great revenue stream coming off of their database business, matching the cadence of the price cuts of Amazon, really hard to do and, and stay profitable and still grow. And then balance that, balance that with building apps that make money. So you've got these triad of factors that they have to keep in balance. Drive a profitable applications business as a transition to the cloud, be able to deal with the cadence of innovation from a competitor that has that is world-class and attracting world-class engineers daily. And then third, on being able to deal with a Tory pace of price reduction. So yeah, it can be done. Will it be done in the short term? Probably not. But these are things that they have to start thinking about. And, and Amazon's way ahead of them in terms of thinking about Brexit, for example. Brexit is a prime opportunity for Amazon to capitalize on 
the inherent instability in an economic system to be able to bring stability of cloud platforms. That's one aspect. The other aspect is the development community around Amazon. Uh, so, you know, these are all the factors that go into it. It's going to be a tough one, but I think they're after the RDBMS, RT business, capture that, lock that down, turn it red again, and that'll all be good. At least they'll have that revenue. You know, I did speak with Steve Miranda, who is responsible for the development of apps at Oracle. And I asked him this point, which that, that, that you raised, one of your points was essentially around the culture of development. And development uh, in a cloud environment is very different than in an on-premise environment. You're doing uh, much faster releases and, and a bunch of other things. And Steve said to me that they have changed and they still are changing their development culture and they'll get there if they're not if they're not perfectly there today you know that's a matter of time they'll do it because they're just investing very heavily there but yeah. but Larry Dignan what about the question that Lewis raised of the ability of Oracle to keep undercutting Amazon they're both very large companies uh, so what about that there there are some things with Oracle's AWS fascination that kind of boggle the mind a bit. Um, a, just on margin, that that the infrastructure as a service business, it's it's challenging, right? So my guess is this is kind of that, you know, like where you read Clay Christensen, you kind of see that slide where, you know, Toyota started down here and then the, the established players, in this case, Detroit, kept moving up and up the stack. And then eventually the players at the bottom were also there too. Um, I think that's what this is about because the biggest takeaway I had watching Ellison's keynote was that yes, AWS must be taking database workloads from Oracle. Otherwise Oracle would not be trying to punch them in the face. So when they talk about their databases, not being, you know, AWS databases, not being as open AWS being harder to move from, there may be some element of truth to that. But the bottom line is AWS made that stuff very easy to consume. And that's a hurdle. And the other hurdle here is just the companies come at things a different way, right? I mean, AWS works because it's still in that Amazon DNA, which is customer service, give the customer what they want, respond rapidly, and rinse and repeat and do day after day after day. So... AWS's innovation cadence and all that, it, it's its not built on, hey, we want to lock you into a stack. It's, hey, we're giving customers what they're asking for. And we, that, that's a materially different approach than what the enterprise software vendors have traditionally done, right? Or you wouldn't be hearing large vendors saying, oh, we got it right this now. We got it right now. We're nicer. We care about you, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're not doing that at Amazon. <laughs> so. No, but that's, that's yeah, it's just a different, they're different animals. And to go out there and, you know, I, I know for Oracle's purposes, you know, you, you want to look like you're a challenger for to AWS because you want to look innovative and stuff. But at the end of the day, this isn't much different than when Microsoft tried to go after Google and search and then Google tried to punch Microsoft in the mouth with Google Apps, right? It's you, you want to attack my beachhead? Well, I'm going to attack yours. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what this is about. And the end of the day, it's about AWS taking database workloads. That's mm-hmm. the holy grail. Because once you do that, well, then Oracle's a little screwed. But doesn't so, but doesn't that mean that Oracle will do this? Is now strategic, and and obviously it is because of the Larry Ellison presentation at, at Open World. So doesn't that mean that Oracle will do anything possible on a technical level, on a financial level, anything? They are going to pull cost. They'll go, they'll do throw. They've thrown down the gauntlet. They are pulling customers out of Amazon into Oracle. Maybe. I mean, what what the cloud what the cloud gives you is you are probably let's get real. You're probably going to be an Oracle infrastructure as a service customer, Amazon infrastructure as a customer. You're probably going to have Azure in there. And by the way, you might have Google just for pricing momentum, right? Mm-hmm. And we see this all the time in the cloud space. Google, Google Cloud's been doing this all year. They, they claim this big win against AWS. And then you read the footnotes and you're like, well, they're not quite. They gave, Gore, they gave Google some new business, but they didn't quite take it. It's not a rip and replace of AWS, mm-hmm. right? So I think for Oracle's strategic point of view, they need they need the infrastructure piece because they need to sell you on the platform and ultimately the applications because that's where the money is. So it's the fuller scope. So so the infrastructure so they, is the yeah, fuller scope of the suite. Right. They can't they can't lose Oracle can't lose infrastructure because once you're in AWS, you're probably going to buy buy higher level services. And there's no question AWS is moving up that stack. They're moving up their value prop. And mm-hmm that's showing up in database workloads. So they've all these databases run around and now they have that, they have all the serverless infrastructure and all that. So, you know, the, the real race is going to be, you're buying business functions in the future. Grow everything else. That's Got, what you're buying. Guys, we're, 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 we're for your business. Guys, and I don't know if Oracle plays that game or can. You know, we're, we're unfortunately, as interesting as this conversation is, unfortunately, we're just about, out of time. And I know uh, Mike Fossett is got to go on stage in a moment. And so let's just, uh, and I apologize for, for interrupting, but let's just, we have to finish this out with each of you, if you would, just offer your final comments. Where is this going? What does it mean for CIOs? And, and maybe Mike Fossett, we can just start with you very, very briefly, because I know you have to leave uh, in a moment to go on stage. Sure. But big question. And I'll try to <clears throat> do a really short answer. I think that, you know, company in transition, they are doing things that are interesting around their applications. They are fighting some specific battles. They do have some properties, um, some portfolio products that are, uh, you know, really good. They're resonating. They're doing, doing well. But uh, we're not moving to a world where uh, one vendor is going to own everything. It's a it's a world in the cloud where you're going to see a, have to see a lot of peaceful coexistence, and you're going to have to see more openness. And I think that's something that they are not quite, uh, and, and no vendor in the old from the old world to the new wants to accept that. But that's just the the world that the cloud is leading to. And uh, Larry Dignan, your final thoughts and advice for CIS. I mean, I think any tech buyer has got to play ball with Oracle. And if you're an existing customer, trading up in the cloud might totally work well for you. Um, You're going to get bundled deals. And 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say you'd, you'd, the CIO's got to look at what Oracle has just like they would any other vendor. Mm-hmm. And Lewis Columbus, you're going to get the final word here. Okay, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you know, my advice to CIOs is use this uh, use this ambition uh, from Oracle to your advantage and push them to bundle in everything you possibly can. If you're looking at a sweet refresh, push for that. If you're in an audit, threaten to leave and move your uh, database loads to AWS and watch the audit probably drop. Uh, but, you know, play hardball uh, because the ball's in your court as a buyer now. Um, competition's a beautiful thing, and competition uh, brings out the best there is to offer, I think, from uh, from all these people. So, you know, I, I think you could also look at being able to reduce even maintenance fees if you're a CIO. In other words, Oracle's hungry um, to build out this stack on the cloud uh, and uh, use AWS pricing as a barometer in your negotiations with them. So you're in a buyer's market, you're in a great position, so make the most of it and, you know, go cut a great deal with them. Yes, there is a lot of competition out there right now, but for sure, Oracle is a contender. I mean, they have oh, a yeah, definitely. They have definitely. four billion dollar run rate in the cloud. Their cloud business grew, cloud apps, uh, or maybe it's maybe it's their entire entire cloud business grew eighty eighty two percent in the first quarter. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but there are a lot of other competitors out there as well. Definitely, yeah including MongoDB and all these other open source databases. So yeah, use it to your advantage. I mean, if you're going to go all open stack, you know, be a good, be a good negotiator and go after it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you have been watching episode number 194 of CXO Talk, and we've been talking about Oracle and Oracle open world and what's happening in this part of technology. Our amazing guests today have been Larry Dignan, who is the editor-in-chief of ZDNet, and Lewis Columbus. And Lewis, what is your exact title? I'm the director of global platform management and cloud services at Ingram, and I run development of cloud apps uh, on uh, our APS, Odin, and Ensign platforms. And, so. and Mike Fawcett, uh, what, was, what is your exact title? It's uh, Chief Research Officer for um, G2 Crowd. Chief Research Officer at G2 Crowd. You were breaking, it was uh, breaking up. Don't you love technology? I'm Michael Krigsman. Thank you so much for watching today. And we will have another show tomorrow with the CIO of Dylan's Candy Bar. And that's going to be a lot of fun. So join us again tomorrow on CXO Talk. And that'll be at 3 o'clock. Eastern time for episode number 195. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.